Welcome to Great Minds, and today's episode is a reunion. Michael uh, McLaren, the president of Bounteous, uh, one of the companies that's truly on the front lines transforming brands in today's competitive digital environment into leaders and category leaders and working with some of the biggest brands in the world. Uh, Michael and I met, uh, as we were just talking about, Michael, it's close to 20 years, maybe a little more. Um, I know, it actually, I think it is a little more, yeah. And Michael at the time was with McCann, which we'll touch on running Intel. And Intel, at that time when you were there, they were a huge player, not just in their field, but in marketing. They were an absolute powerhouse. Uh, I think it was Andy Grove was the leader, uh, who was a, a real visionary. Yep, Andy Grove was uh, was we're still running the place when we first started working together. Yep. Yeah, incredible visionary, and he's uh, gone on to all kinds of things, which we'll touch on. Uh, so we're thrilled to have you here, Michael. Welcome to Great Minds. Well, thank you for having me, Matt. It's great to catch up again, and uh, excited to be here. Thanks for the invitation. All right. So we uh, touched on a point of serendipity and a mutual friend uh, when we were talking earlier, and that's uh, your time at NYU at the Stern School. Yeah, I was doing a, uh, an MBA down at Stern and had the opportunity um, to meet with a number of their faculty, including the professor we were just discussing. Yeah, so one of the jewels of our industry, still around, uh, and we jokingly did a bit years ago at the Friars, I brought Al up on stage and said, Al, you knew Moses, you knew Jesus, can <laughs> you tell us what they were like? Al's got to be getting getting close to 90 by now, but Professor Al Lieberman at the Stern School, what a jewel of a guy. He was a professor who brought subject matter to life. Um, I always will remember him because he would start every class with something that he read in the paper that day, and then he would bring it back to the course content that we'd been discussing in the previous week so that it wasn't theoretical, it was practical and it was applied. And honestly, it implanted a much greater understanding of the subject than I would have got otherwise. So, um, you know, he definitely was a professor who left a mark on me. Yeah, he was a, 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 is an incredibly charismatic guy. His son, Mark, is very accomplished. You know that music series, Inside the Artist's Den? Oh, yeah. That's his son, Mark. He created that. So That's there's fantastic. a lot of good, those, those uh, Lieberman genes, uh, you know, transcend generations. So what we love about Al is not just his character and charisma, but he's a teacher. And Michael, going back, you spent about 10 years at an agency that was really renowned for training people. So many people who worked at uh, Lintas and later, you know, with the Amirati broader family have gone on, you being one of them, to accomplish great things. Can we go back and talk about Amirati? Because that was such a legendary name in the business on a par with Dancer Fitzgerald and some of the other great iconic uh, agency bands, brands, creative in particular, that are no longer around. And I'd love to start our conversation, but reflecting on your time uh, going all the way back to Lintas and then the Amirati family. Yeah, you're really taking me back now, Matt. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I was at Lintas. Um, Lintas was a big packaged goods agency when in the days when they really were one of the biggest advertiser spenders, you know, big CPG brands. And uh, IPG was the holding company that owned Lintas and they had acquired Amirati Puris, which was a, a mid-sized up-and-coming advertising agency based out of Manhattan. 
um, their kind of, you know, whatever uh, their sort of star case study was BMW. Um, and, uh, you know, we had the chance and, and they put the two pieces together and Martin Puris came over as the CEO of the joint organization. They changed the name to Amirati Puris Lintas. And um, Ralph Emirati, who was like an industry icon uh, from the art side as a creative director, uh, you know, was still connected to the business at that stage. So I had the opportunity to work with Martin and with and with Ralph. And, you know, they brought a kind of creative energy and power to what was at the time, I think, a, a leading global advertising footprint and I think the two pieces together were really like an effective combination and I stayed with uh with Emirati Purist Lintas for several years um uh, we pitched and won at the time the largest uh technology business in the advertising space which was compact computers and we took it global and uh I moved down to Singapore at the time to run the uh, compact business in Asia Pacific uh, with Emirati Purist Lintas. So it was a great experience and I'm very thankful for, you know, having the chance to have worked with, uh, with Ralph and with Martin. So let's tackle this from sort of two ends. One is what a special place that was and a chance to get to work with true icons, founders, and run an awfully big piece of business out of what was then an emerging powerhouse in APAC Singapore all these years later, we'll add an ED to that, has now emerged as a huge powerhouse driving that region and the world. Mm -hmm. But talk about what it was like working for those icons. And on the flip side, Michael, the brand's not here anymore. Compact's not here anymore. Right. So many iconic brands that you would think, boy, they're going to be around forever. Don't make it reflecting broadly on the breadth of your experience what do you think the attributes of those that didn't is it luck versus those that did i mean i think it's a combination of luck and and drive uh you know if you think of the big brands that i've had the the good fortune to work with who are still around you know microsoft still a powerhouse intel still a powerhouse um, you know, but I've also worked with Compaq, which got acquired by HP, which subsequently got broken up into multiple pieces. Um, so, you know, the especially in the big tech world, you know, the sort of history is littered with the the sort of remains of these big brands that, um, you know, come on strong and then, you know, either get acquired or integrated. Um, you know, if you think of Oracle acquiring Siebel Systems, you know, Siebel Systems was one of the industry leading CRM platforms and, you know, all of a sudden gone. So over my career, I've seen many of these brands um, sort of disappear off the map. Um, but I will say this, like, if I think about Microsoft, when I, I had the good fortune to work there when I was at McCann and we ran their business for, for many years, we still have a big piece of Microsoft uh, business there. And at the time, Bill Gates was the CEO. He'd been the CEO of Microsoft for the last 25 years. And he was the only CEO who had been in that position for 25 years consecutively at a Fortune 100 company, the only one in the world. And, you know, that the fact that Microsoft made those sort of leaps and jumped that chasm time and time again is testament to Bill. And, you know, the vision that he had for the business 
And you could say that they kind of missed a few things along the way, but, you know, they're a powerhouse in, you know, the cloud space. They're a powerhouse in, um, you know, the AI, you know, sort of explosion. And, you know, he he set the stage for that. So I think it's a combination. Sometimes it's like, sometimes it's just pure drive. Um, and, you know, you'd probably say the same for Meta right now, right? Like he's been at the helm of that company. I mean, we're in 1923, uh, sorry, 2023. So he's been up there for the same period of time. It's extraordinary. Yeah, no, very well said. And we've often spoken, and you hit it on the head, you know, Facebook, now Meta, one of the things that uh, we've observed, because we started before they did, you know, when we started Advertising Week, it was the Facebook. And I absolutely think you're onto something there, continuity of leadership, strength of leadership team and continuity, human leadership. I'm not talking about technology leadership, absolutely critical as a success factor. Yeah, I think so. And I think that vision is a big piece of it. Um, You know, having a very clear vision for where you want your company to be, um, you know, clearly execution. If I think of the the genius of Intel, you know, they had more, uh, you know, Mensa standard, you know, individuals in their organization than any place that I had ever seen. But the true engine uh, of that organization was execution. It was you know, being able to envisage what the next realm of the microprocessor was going to be and then being able to fabricate it and build it as a concept and then being able to scale it and drive it at scale, um, you know, at a rate um, and at a scale that no one could come anywhere near. You know, you mentioned that Intel was a was a real true powerhouse. It's one of the few brands that I've had the the opportunity to work with who genuinely move the market like you they would set up movement in the entire industry you know the hardware industry the software industry they drove so much of that evolution and you know their their, their genius was execution no question and and i i so vividly remember they took it from westinghouse and just made it better that science talent search that was such a great program that intel had for so many years. All right, wait, wait, wait a minute now. We're digressing. All, we're all over the place, Michael. <laughs> Let's wind back to uh, Martin, the founders, working for those icons and sort of, and you, you spoke about it and referenced it in terms of, you know, Compact's fate being acquired by HP and then ultimately broken up into little pieces and all disappearing eventually. Uh, a lot of that's happened with a lot of great agencies also. Yeah, I mean, agencies, uh, you know, sort of also live and die by some of the same dynamics. You know, sometimes it's market forces, sometimes it's changing of the guard, you know, where particularly a strong founder agency that has the name on the door and as those folks move on and move on to other interests um, or retire, it's 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 challenging for a lot of these brands to keep going. Um, kind of miraculous, honestly, that Ogilvy has been such a powerhouse you know, well beyond David Ogilvy, and uh, you know they've really maintained a a world class pedigree. Um, but so many agencies from my early days in New York are no longer here. Uh, you mentioned one at the beginning, and I hadn't even thought of it. Dancer Fitzgerald Samper. I mean, it's amazing how many of these brands that you've forgotten about. Yeah, no, we. Uh, my early career was in sport, and I was the first executive director of the Sports Commission for New York City starting in November of 1987. 
And our first chair, we created a not-for-profit to engage the private sector and as a conduit to raise money. And our first chair was a guy who was president of what was then called Saatchi and Saatchi DFS Compton. Yeah. Uh, Gary Sussanjara, who's no longer with us, was a great guy, was really, really good to me. And they had just moved into the Saatchi building, you know, the building on 375? Yeah. And Gary, I was in this really, really bad office in the city. It was like half a conference room on John Street, right off Broadway downtown, city office. And Gary said, why don't you move in with me? I have an office down the hall from me. Ed Wax was another guy who was a president and another big part of the company. And eventually they had too many presidents and not all of them survived. Gary was one who did not. Um, And then sadly, he got sick and didn't survive altogether. But Gary moved me down the hall from him into that Saatchi building. And I had this big, beautiful office. I was 24 (laughs) years old. And, oh, man, that was great. But Dancer Fitzgerald Sample, you'll know more about them than I do. But they had another one that had a legendary creative reputation. Absolutely. A lot of those sort of, you know, uh, industry leading breakthrough creative agencies were uh, acquired by big holding companies because they brought a special source that, you know, a lot of the big holding company agencies were really desperate to bring into the fold. Um, So, you know, if you think of just how often that evolution has happened in our industry over years, um, and there's a certain part of it that, you know, if if you're an entrepreneur and you get your business started and you're growing and you start to become part of a bigger, you know, sort of platform, you start to expand your your brand, like, you know, honestly, Emirati Purist did. there's 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 a win-win opportunity there. Not doesn't always work that way, but I genuinely believe that for the right businesses, that uh, synergies can be realized by bringing together these different pieces. I couldn't agree more. Uh, so you have this great run there. Then you spent about a year or so at Ogilvy. I, I want to dig into your tenure at McCann World Group because it was lengthy and incredibly accomplished. But anything uh, going back to your time as a, a group uh, director at Ogilvy that Warren's talking I about? I mean, I, that was a uh, that was a, a kind of a, a really, I think, wonderful chapter in my career. I, I had the opportunity to work with Steve Hayden, um, Chris Wall on the team, um, Matt Ross at, uh, at the Ogilvy Group had um, sort of built a, a really world-class team around the IBM business. I came over to run uh, the IBM hardware business uh, from Singapore. And, uh, you know, it was just, I I was astonished at how talented this team was, how many of them have gone on to just incredible things in the industry. And obviously Steve Hayden, you know, he wrote 1984, so it probably doesn't get any more famous than that. Uh, And, you know, sorry, the, I mean, the, mac ad obviously um of course and uh so yeah it was just i was very lucky to have that chance and i'm very thankful for that opportunity it just so happened that about a year into it mccann had won the microsoft business um and microsoft was just coming off uh you know the big rolling stone start me up you know kind of uh, windows 95 that was moving in towards windows 2000 and they were looking for someone with some technology experience to come and run that business. So it was honestly one of those situations where it was just too good an opportunity. 
to pass up. And uh, I, I ended up moving to San Francisco to run the Microsoft business, uh, what I, you know, which ended up being like an eight year run, which was just fantastic. So you're still a pretty young guy. We talked earlier about uh, education pre NYU in New South Wales, a great, great place. That's our uh, home for advertising week, APAC in Sydney, one of my right. real, real favorite places and uh, spent some time in Singapore. Now we're going to San Francisco. I'm sure I missed a couple. <laughs> Talk about, you know, that experience, you know, getting to live in and lead businesses for, from some very different locations, very different cultures uh, for your non-business life and different cultures for your business life. I mean, I think that, you know, if you, if you get joy out of working with big global brands, um, you know, there's tremendous joy in having the international experience of working in global markets. And I, I consider it, you know, a real fundamental building block to both the professional I am, but also honestly, the person I am to have had that diversity of experience. I've, I've had the chance to live in Singapore, um, just in the kind of really explosive growth era of Singapore as a powerhouse in, in uh, the SEA. I've had the chance to be on the West Coast. Um, there's that famous quote, you know, you want to live on the East Coast, but don't live there so long that you get too hard and you want to live on the West Coast, but don't live there so long that you get too soft. Right. <laughs> and there's a certain truth to that. Um, I, although I think I, I'm probably bastardizing the quote a little bit. Um, but I also had the opportunity to go to Japan. And I worked in Japan for several years um, as the regional president of Asia Pacific at McCann World Group. Um, and that was an extraordinary experience. It's a remarkable country, remarkable market. And, um, you know, having had that experience for four years was also very formative. So if anybody's, you know, thinking about whether or not doing a global trip is a good thing for their career, I can't recommend it strongly enough. Um, you're going to come back and, you know, be a smarter, more aware, more uh, open and, uh, you know, sort of, I think, um, uh, you know, you, you'll have a different view on the world with that experience. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And uh, I'm going to have to actually look up the number so I can uh, not be a generalist on this point. Uh, but there is a shockingly low percentage of Americas that even Americans that even have a passport. It's much lower than if you or I were to guess a number, we're going to be wrong and we're going to guess too high. <laughs> and, and I think that's such a shame. And we are in a global world. We are in a global economy, uh, certainly in our industry. So much of it now, uh, digital has opened up, you know, borders that previously, you know, the lines of demarcation have shifted as digital has connected us all. But what a life experience that is, especially as a young guy or gal. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that America's had the advantage of having this incredibly kind of huge and growing powerhouse of a domestic consumption machine that has enabled businesses to thrive and to focus on, you know, sort of the local market um, and people, entire careers and industries have been built on that without really having to um, focus too much uh, internationally. It's definitely changing now, you know, obviously in the last 20 years, I think America and companies are really moving, uh, you know, sort of at speed globally um, in our industry, particularly. But I think the uh, when you grow up in Australia, you're on the other side of the world. You you you're very aware of 
there's a lot out there. And that's one of the reasons why Australians travel as much as they do. You know, they're they're looking for that exposure and that understanding. And so I think that maybe culturally I was a little detuned to the opportunity from day one. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I think that there's, in my travels, I'm meeting more and more Americans around the world. And I think that's a really good thing. So let's uh, uh, get to Merkel through sort of a side door. You uh, go from McCann and become the global CEO on the B2B side for Merkel, part of the Dentsu family. Let's go back and stay with for another moment your time at McCann in Tokyo and talk about even a powerhouse globally like McCann in Japan and in Tokyo, everybody sits in the back of the bus behind Dentsu. Talk about your observations then and then at Merkel becoming part of the Dentsu family. Um, yeah, it's a great point, Matt. I mean, McCann was one of the few uh, international agencies, i.e. non-Japan um, agencies that had built a real foothold in Japan, um, partly around the large multinationals that we were um, working with as clients. You know, in the early days, it was Exxon, um, Coca-Cola, an early mover in Japan. So we had these sort of really powerful brands that were kind of pulling us into the market and, you know, allowed us at the time to establish a foothold in what was at the time a very locally dominated marketplace. Um, but, you know, Dentsu is a, an extraordinary business, um, uh, you know, both honestly in Japan and internationally. And, you know, just to connect a few uh, dots, Lintas, um, before the merger with Emirati, uh, had formed a strategic alliance with Hakuhodo, which was the number two Japanese agency. And, you know, when I was in Asia, I had the opportunity to do some work, um, you know, with Hakuhodo. So I'd had that experience um, of, you know, understanding a little bit about the Japanese market. Uh, and, yeah, you, you, have, you have to respect the way that they'd built these incredible business platforms, you know, not just in the advertising world as we came to know it in North America, but as a true media powerhouse, like what's not often fully understood is, you know, just how many threads of the total communications ecosystem um, these businesses connected, you know, so whether it was media, whether it was um, PR, whether it was uh, sports, you know, for example, you know, Dentsu runs, um, in 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 that marketplace, the Olympics. Uh, you know, when it was the Tokyo Olympics, that was activated, operationalized. You know, by Dentsu, and they were they were a leading partner um, to you know all of the entities who were sort of starting to drive the um, you know the Olympic Games. So in in Japan, so I just think that you know we don't fully appreciate just how. Uh, extensive those businesses uh, sort of connect the dots in the communications ecosystem. Yeah, I, I don't want to spend too much time here. I want to, and I want to get to Bounteous, but yep. you know, uh, the way I always describe the holding company part of our industry on the agency side is it's like the five families. You know, there's Omnicom is Corleone, and WPP is Barzini, <laughs> and Publicis is Tatalia, etc. Uh, and I do believe all the business lessons in The Godfather are true as a, as a personal and, and philosophical. Monday, too. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And in Japan, Dentsu is all five families. 
Yeah, I mean, if you think of, um, you know, you, you sort of also have to think about Japan as a world powerhouse, you know, in the 90s as well. And all of those big Japanese companies, you know, the the automotive companies, the industrial companies, the financial services companies went globally with Densit. Yeah. And that was a explosive, you know, sort of economic phase for the economy, um, you know, at the time and also for, for Dentsu. So, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you have to look at it contextually also as to what were some of the drivers going on. Yeah, I worked with them long before I was in this business. They're, in Japan, they have relay race marathons. Mm-hmm. So it's marathon distance, 26 miles, <laughs> give or take. And they're called Ekiden. Did you ever come across that? In I did. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yep. And so it's five I didn't, teams. I didn't do one. No, nor I. It's five teams, relay race marathon. And Densu wanted to create America's Ekiden in <laughs> New York. And when I was running the sports commission, they came to us with the Roadrunners Club, then led by Fred LeBeau, who really created the New York City Marathon. And we did it we ended it in central park it was all throughout manhattan i remember the world trade center was one of the exchange points all 50 states sent teams and we had nine international teams the irish team had i think three olympians eamon coglin was one of them and they won it was at an elite level and asics was a sponsor a bunch of other japanese uh companies presumably all dentsu clients and I ended up at the awards dinner with a, a very accomplished uh, television personality named Larry Scott, who did a lot of okay. track and field. And we ended up as co-hosts of the awards. And I had to speak a lot that night as a you know master, uh, co-master of ceremonies. And I was so ill-equipped for that at that time in my career. I was bumbling and stuttering and could not really put a sentence together. And as time has gone on, like I'm, you know, flirting with credibility as a public speaker, you know, but I've been doing it now for 40 years. But then with Ekiden and Densu, I was so awful. And I just remembered that story in Ekiden, but that was an awful lot of fun. And Densu and the Japanese brands, as you point out at that time period, you know, brands like Fuji, global powerhouses. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I was, I, I wasn't involved in that, but you know, that, that kind of vision and that kind of execution is a great example of what Dentsu is yeah. capable of. They're remarkable. Yeah, they were absolutely terrific. So uh, anything noteworthy we should touch on at your tenure at, at Merkel? You spent about five years there. Big, big player, another powerhouse. I mean, I, I, I loved it, honestly. I went there just before they had been acquired by Dentsu, and then we went through a period of you know, rapid growth. Um, the, the, you know, Merkel was led by a gentleman who I consider one of the true leading minds in our industry, David Williams. Um, his story one day will be told and be known, but he kind of was quite happy to live off the radar. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, he 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 bought Merkel. It was a data management, a database and data management company that was, you know, I think doing you know, $10 million of revenue back in the day. And, um, you know, the rest is history. Ran it for 27 years, uh, you know, 20 plus percent compound growth for 20 years straight. Um, And, you know, there is really nothing that they weren't prepared to take on 
um, in terms of, you know, entering new markets, going global, building a global delivery capability, uh, you know, adding new cap- new competencies, um, you know, just got a huge amount of respect for David and the Merkel organization. And, you know, I was definitely not surprised that, that Dentsu came in and said, we really need this asset. This asset is something that we desperately need. And, you know, Merkel became the kind of CXM engine of the entire Dentsu organization and, you know, has gone on for, from strength to strength. Yeah, that acquisition uh, somewhat uniquely seems to have worked well. I, I had a lot to do with Merkel's DNA, um, you know, very much a refuse to lose, you know, whatever it takes, you know, um, you know, David was very, very smart, but also very dedicated to the to the craft. You know, his one of the things he would say to people is, let's do the work, do the work. You know, and I, I I just love that. You know, roll your sleeves up, get in there, work with clients, create value. Good things will come. Yeah, and, and another great farm system of talent Merkel has become over the years. Ab- absolutely, yeah. I mean, on on the time I was there, I joined when there were roughly um, two thousand people, and at the time I left, they were fourteen thousand people. So you know, extraordinary growth. Some of it, honest to be honest, was kind of um, integrated from other parts of the Dentsu organization. So, you know, that added some pieces, but just the pure track record of compound growth um, uh, as a business is, you know, extraordinary and probably unparalleled, honestly, over 20 plus years in our business. Um, And so, yeah, I I was very thankful for that experience. And, um, you know, it was really having lived through that, you know, we'd looked at, I looked at the opportunity that Bounteous has in front of it and, you know, the, you know, the ability to bring, you know, innovation and work hand in hand with clients in the environment that we're in right now, where, you know, digital transformation is a critical component of success in any, pretty much any industry. And it just felt like this is the right place at the right time. It's, you know, time to go around and and do it again. So you teed us up perfectly. Tell us the story how you got to Bounteous. I mean, it, you know, it's probably a pretty familiar story. I was not looking around. I got a phone call from a, an old colleague of mine and, uh, you know, started meeting some folks and, you know, just got into a number of conversations, uh, you know, got to know Keith the Schwartz, the founder uh, and, and CEO, liked Keith a lot, um, you know, interesting blend keith comes from an engineering background so he's been very much um in the product and in the tech landscape i come from a client and sort of business background and i think the two pieces fit nicely together uh you know i've my career has been pretty much from the client management client engagement you know side of things and uh you know so yeah i mean we are uh still you know, mid-tier kind of agency, digital transformation agency relative to the, you know, the sapiens and the Accentures of the world. But, you know, we compete uh, regularly with those brands. Um, You know, we win, I'd like to say more than our fair share. (laughs) And, uh, you know, we're in the, we're in the business of creating value for clients through digital transformation. So let's dig in and peel a, a couple layers off the digital transformation onion. 
This is a term that's been around for a while now. The trade groups have built conferences around digital transformation, and it's given an awful lot of lip service, not unlike so many companies in industry in general, including ours, but beyond, give a lot of lip service to DEI, Yeah, I think. Talk about digital transformation here, what it means at Bounteous, because you know my take is you're the real deal. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, so, I mean, when you think about how consumers are engaging with brands today um, or customers, if you're talking in a B2B sense, uh, you know, it's a completely different engagement than it was even 10 years ago. Uh, you know, what we see is a very competent and savvy customer someone who has often been brought up with a mobile phone in their hand. Um, so they're digital natives. They are used to doing a lot of things on their own. They're very savvy at navigating ecosystems of, you know, both social media, content, um, you know, entertainment, and they bring input to themselves that inform their perspective and their opinions and their preferences through this myriad of digital channels. And, you know, increasingly in a B2B sense, they're referring to peers and third parties and thought leaders and opinion leaders. And there's this sort of diaspora of contact points that are out there that they're connecting the dots. Um, and in that world, uh, brands have to be very good very good at enabling those customers or those consumers to, you know, engage with their content, to create their own stories, to be part of the conversation. So enable to, uh, you know, have interactive discussions and, and allow that customer to, you know, sort of drive their digital journey in the way that they want, you know, at a pace that they want um, and become a part of that journey, right? Like it's, you, you can't broadcast a message, expect to drive persuasion, expect to activate, you know, behavior in as honestly as, as we used to when we were back in the heavyweight media advertising days. Those days are gone. Um, you know, and they went probably 20 years ago. Today, the brand's digital ecosystem, and I'm, by that I mean everything. I mean, you know, the call center. I mean, the point of sale sort of experience. I mean, the ordering platform, the mobile app, the social media landscape, the conversation that's happening around the brand, the, uh, you know, sort of uh, industry analysts, like and how your story is getting propagated by industry analysts, that entire world that surrounds a consumer today has to be carefully curated, orchestrated, and and hopefully you know managed in a way that continues to position you know a brand in a, in a compelling way. And so many brands, you know, sort of the entire digital ecosystem is just not ready for that. You know, they may have certain pieces, they may have a really good website, and they may have a pretty good CRM system, but the entire ecosystem usually is very disconnected. Yeah, the shape uh, and number that come to mind here is a circle in 360. 
And that's really at the heart of what Bounteous is doing. Take us through, and, and, and it's worth mentioning, the recognition here is coming from all kinds of places, not just from happy clients, but I know you were featured in a big report Forrester just did around digital transformation. So the so-called powers that be and authorities, the arbiters of who's doing quality work out there are recognizing Bounty as playing at the highest level of ball. Take us through the journey. If I were to give you a call, Michael, and say, hey, uh, a friend of mine is the CMO of, you know, name that brand. And they're, you know, re-examining their digital transformation strategy. Walk me through that journey of someone who comes through your door and is starts by sitting in the waiting room. Um, it, well, first of all, I would say every journey is unique um, because every client has its own unique sort of situation. And so, you know, the first exercise is to truly understand the, you know, their current situ, their current status. Like, where are the the places where they're having challenges? Is it a a new customer acquisition challenge? Is it a driving greater value from existing customers challenge? Is it building a long tail of transactional sort of engagement with customers and driving loyalty? So, you know, we still live in a world where key marketing challenges need to be addressed. Um, And we try to really try to zero in on, you know, what's keeping the client up at night. Uh, and then, you know, honestly, it's a, it, we, we believe in a model called co-innovation. And, and by that, what we mean is trying to work hand in hand with, with clients. You know, we, we very rarely ever will just go in there and say, here's your answer. Like that, that, that doesn't happen anymore. We'll sit down and, and collaborate with clients around a particular challenge and build a joint solution, um, you know, in an ideal world, as far as we're concerned, you really can't tell in a room who's the bounty and and who's the client person. They're working so closely together. And that also uh, is important because every client has its own specific set of in-house skills. And, you know, all clients are moving in different directions in terms of where they're making the bet around what capabilities do they believe are so mission critical that they need to have them in-house. And so as a good partner... We need to respect that and and understand it. And so if the client says, look, we've got media covered, I've got a world-class in-house media agency, you know, but I could, you know, we could use some help with, you know, this side of the equation, that's totally fine. We work, you know, very collaboratively with clients. Um, Typically, because we do a lot of tech work, we'll be working often with the CIO, CTO organization, um, as well as obviously the, the, the marketing organization. And, you know, quite often we worked as the connective tissue that brings those pieces together as well. So, yeah, the first order of business is to really understand uh, their business, understand their business challenge, and then sit down and work together in terms of identifying, you know, a pathway to sort of improving it. But if you just take a classic experience, like, you know, how do I, how do I uh, create great, uh, capture greater value from my web experience, you know, so building a modern web experience requires a lot of technology we have to understand what the client already has in-house you know what kind of marketing technology they've made investments in what kind of skill sets they've already built internally and then get into an evaluation of what technologies are in the marketplace that could help them um, what kind of you know integration requirement and scope would that require 
what kind of systems do we need to connect? You know, is there a inventory system, delivery system, ERP system, financial management, AR? Um, you know, so you have to really be an orchestrator of a lot of these different technologies, or at least you have to know a lot so you don't go in there and break anything, which is you know, often the case. But to try to help clients build more innovative um, and and uh, richer experiences requires us to understand the downstream effect of how those things come together. Um, but, you know, the big buzzword obviously is personalization. How do we create more personalized experiences? How do we recognize the customer as they come in? How do we bring the intelligence around that customer that we've built up over years to inform the next experience they have with us? How do I start using the powers of AI to be able to refer and suggest things that they might find valuable based on our knowledge of what they've done with us in the past. You know, those sort of words are easy to roll off the tongue, but they're tremendously challenging to bring to life in real time. And, and you don't just go from having a static website to having a real time, you know, sort of referral engine. It happens in a series, series of steps and you've got to drive yourself down and the client together hand in hand down a digital maturity curve. So, you know, we'll typically, a typical engagement, and I'm sure it's it's similar. I'm not saying that this is, you know, sort of something that clients wouldn't see elsewhere, but it's it's an evaluation of the current state. It's an evaluation of the landscape of what's available. What do we think is a smart idea? A, a visioning of the future state, what kind of experiences, what kind of use cases, what kind of outcomes do we want to drive? And then a very methodical execution plan that's going to help the client get there. I love that story, Michael. And, and you used the word orchestrate and the word I was thinking of was orchestra. And you're really a conductor of an orchestra now that has to play an awful lot of notes. And, you know, going back to those early days at, at, at Lintas and then Amirati, Purist Lintas, as it evolved, you know, it's sort of like it was a three or four piece band that you were leading back then. And now it, this is the, you know, on stage at the Hollywood Bowl, Hugh Jackman, 120 person orchestra. <laughs> and and I mean the the table stakes have got higher, right? Like I mean, what we know in so many categories is that bad experiences really hurt brands. Um, so if you if you park someone in a dead end on your website, if you leave them hanging with a with a a, a cart that they can't transact, if you leak data. Um, and you have a security incident that has caused an exposure of, of confidential data, customers will punish you. I mean, they will leave, they will go to your, your competitor, they'll go to an experience that, you know, and, and we know that, you know, Forrester has reams of data on, you know, uh, versus a baby boomer, a millennial will drop twice as fast, they'll give you half the NPS score, they're much tougher graders, they have much higher expectations, and so brands today have to recognize it's not just a nice thing to do. It's absolutely mission critical that they, they push themselves and their partners to create world-class experiences because their customers are going to punish them if they don't. And they're going to give their custom to the brands that are giving them the type of experiences that they're looking for. So, so well said. Uh, I, I love this conversation. I love uh, getting reconnected to you, Michael. This was an absolute joy. Just as we wrap, 
I'm going to guess this is the first time that your partner in the C-suite is an engineer. I mean, we had a lot of that when at Merkel as well. So, I mean, this has been a, are you, are you saying as an industry or do well, you Well, no, people? for you, that oh. Keith engineering background. Oh, and I see. Engin- engineer is certainly a part of uh, a, a data field operation like Merkel, but is, well, maybe I should ask it as a question and not uh, in an assumptive way. Is Keith the first time that you've worked with a, a CEO who's an engineer? I believe so. I mean, David is a very, very smart guy. I'm not 100% sure if he'd call himself an engineer. He's more of a business person. But yeah, no, uh, David Williams, I mean. But the yeah, Keith is is definitely a software engineer. And uh, it's, it's, it's amazing to work with, um, you know, the folks who really understand at deep level the technologies that we're working with. Yeah, I, I think the sweet spot of success today is a company that can bring together someone who has your skill set and experience on the client side and really having been in the engine room and understands what drives client success and someone who understands the tech. But they're very, very different orientations and see the world very differently. The only piece I would keep advocating for, and I mean, we work very hard at this at Bounteous, is, is creativity. You know, creativity remains the kind of force multiplier of all time. And so if you can combine the technical smarts, um, the innovation, passion, um, the insight into the client's business and their customer and bring this extraordinary creative power to bear, that's the secret sauce. I love it. Great, great story, Michael. Thank you so much. You bet. Nice to catch up, Matt. I really appreciate your time.